The information expressed in the following podcast is intended for educational purposes only and was created by and belongs solely to Believe Limited and the Flow podcast and does not necessarily reflect the views of our sponsors. Please speak to your healthcare provider before making any medical decisions. Hi, I'm Jessica and welcome to Flow. I'm here with Sarah Watson, sex therapist, and we both want to know, how's your flow? Welcome once again to Flow. Sarah, I am now a big fan of our guest today, pelvic floor PT and sexual health educator, your college pal, at UC Logic on Instagram. We'll add the link below. Such a wonderful convo with Dr. UC. I loved every moment and I felt like we could have talked for another like two hours. It was so fun. I loved it, loved it, loved it. Happily. Before we get into it, I do have to ask, how's your flow today? So I'm in the follicular stage, so I'm feeling energetic, getting some stuff done, which is not always the thing for me. On a Wednesday, we're recording, <laughs> so <laughs> I just felt a lot of energy and, 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 and got it going, so it's nice. How about you? How's your flow? I feel that. I'm just post-ovulation. I've been tracking rigorously, and oh my goodness, this time I really feel like the hormonal shift. Like, not the PMS, the great rage, but the post-ovulation, like, shifting into different hormones. I don't know. Yeah. Roller coaster. Mm. Yep. Yeah. We know that 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 big loop-to-loop is menstruation, the time of the great bleeding, which we do talk about with Mm -hmm. our guests today. Mm -hmm. Menstruation time, the magic time of the month. I've also, since our interview, which was recorded before today, really been feeling into my pelvic floor. I know we're going to talk about that later at the end with what's normal about feeling into that and what we wish we knew about our pelvic Mm -hmm. floor. Is there anything Mm -hmm. else we should know before we dive into our convo with Dr. Yusi? I will will definitely give you an intro to Dr. UC, but no, I think just be open as a listener. If you don't know about your pelvic floor, just be open and you're going to learn and you're going to learn from the best. Yes, which we will get to right after this quick break. This ad is brought to you by Von Vendi, Von Willebrand Factor Recombinant. My name is Nicole, and my deciding factor is making my voice heard. To hear the backstory, drop by Von Vendi. That's V-O-N-V-E-N-D-I dot com slash patient dash stories. Dr. Yuchenna Oversai is a sex-positive pelvic health physical therapist, sexuality educator, and counselor. Dr. Yusi is an assistant professor at the University of Texas Dell Medical School and also serves as the Pelvic Health Program Manager at UT Health Austin. She is on the faculty for the University of Michigan School of Social Work Sexual Health Program. Dr. Yusi is one of the few licensed physical therapists in the world with an ASECT certification in sexuality counseling as well as the only black physical therapist with this specific designation. Dr. Yusi spends her days treating people with both sexual and pelvic floor dysfunction and her evenings educating the masses on everything that has to do with sexy time. When it comes to sexual intelligence and great sexual education, she embraces always being unapologetically real, happily crunk, and deliciously kind. Dr. UC received her clinical doctorate in physical therapy at the University of Chicago, and she completed her residency in women's health at Washington University in St. Louis. Dr. UC, 
went on to continue her postgraduate training at the University of Michigan at Ann Arbor, where she received her certification in sexuality education and counseling. Her pronouns are she, her, and hers. Welcome to Flow. This is episode three of season two, and we are here with Dr. Uchenna Osai. So glad to have you here. Thanks for joining us on Flow. Thank you for having me. I'm so super duper excited to chit chat. Here we go. So Menstruation is our topic, but obviously we want to deep dive into your amazing work. See, I know you now from Instagram, but I want to know how <gasps> you and Sarah know each other. Like, I'm an Insta follower, but who, like, yes. you two know each other. We do. Yes. yes. Tell me about that. Sarah, do you want to? You start. I can do it. You, okay. Yeah, yes. yeah, you can do it. So we landed in the same cohort at the University of Michigan Sexual Health Program. I just fell in love with her. She is dynamic and she's a wonderful speaker and teacher and learning from her being in the program and just having fun on lunches and just hanging. We've been friends ever since. And I just remember Sarah being like this like quiet ninja in the program. Oh. Like something would happen and I would look at her face and she doesn't have a good poker face. No. And, <laughs> and I would feel better about like my inner workings when I would look at her face and I'm like, cool, okay. Because she's like a sweet baby angel, and I just think that everything about her is fantastic. So when she had a side eye, I was like, yes, yes, I am right, I am right. She was my sex Jesus. Please define sex Jesus for all of those following along at home. Please. I am so honored. Thank you. That gives me so much joy. I feel... That our cohort was the dopest. And Seriously. Mm-hmm. No disrespect to any of the other cohorts, but nope. I just loved our little motley crew. We had so much fun, and we have so much fun when we get together. Yes. It's not very often, especially with COVID, but yeah. hopefully soon enough we'll get to see each other all together again. Yeah. And a cohort is the collective that travels through sexual education together? Is that the mm-hmm. name? Yeah. Like a gaggle of geese and a cohort of sex educators? Yeah. Basically. <laughs> yeah. We were all doctors, social workers, mm-hmm. PTs, Teachers, we have. Did we have a rabbi, or was that another cohort? There um, is someone but, in our program that was mm-hmm, a rabbi. Mm-hmm. Yep, it was all of us doing different tracks. Whether it was just mm-hmm. sex education, sex counseling, sex therapy, or the combination of sex therapy and education, or sex counseling mm-hmm. and education. Mm-hmm. So it was a, a multidisciplinary cohort. Yeah, I recently heard cohort is also used. I work in film and TV, and there's intimacy coordination in a lot of shows now, where it's coordinated by a choreographer who talks and works deep directly with the actors to make sure everyone Mm -hmm. is on the same page about all the physical intimacy that occurs in some of these scenes. But they also call their educational groups cohorts. I find that so interesting. That is interesting. I wouldn't have put that together, but I love that they're doing that. Finally, that is dope. Yeah. I, like, love that. You know what? I'm just going to put a shameless plug. They need to have someone who consults on Mm -hmm. pelvic floor issues. Yes. You know, hello. Mm -hmm. Can we have a sitcom that talks about sex with prolapse or sex after baby? Yes. Or can we do that? Can we make that funny? Because it is funny, but then also tragic because no one talks about it in mainstream. And so people feel shame about it. And then... As a healthcare provider, I have to deconstruct that and say, you're in wonderful company, but they don't believe me because they never see it. No one else talks about it. So that's my little spiel. I'm going to add the applause here. (laughs) It's going to go for three more minutes because it's perfect. What the pelvic floor? Can we talk about pelvic floor, the the lack of information about it, and I guess your focus and work in educating yourself about it and now others? 
Yeah. So right now I'm assistant professor at the University of Texas Dell Medical School in Austin. And I'm also the pelvic health program manager for UT Health Austin, which is the clinical arm of Dell Med. Now, <laughs> I am within the Women's Health Institute, which is where all of our gynecolo—excuse me, OB/GYNs, gynecological oncologists, pelvic pain specialists, wellness specialists, doctors, nurse practitioners, PAs, PTs, social worker, dietitian—all of that—we all work in the same co-located space. So it makes it a lot easier for us to manage complex pelvic floor dysfunction. If we want to define pelvic floor, right, it's all those muscles at the bottom of our pelvis that keep our organs inside of us, that help us with urination, defecation, sexy time, and babies, if we so choose. Uh So that muscle works in synergy with your abs, your diaphragm, your back, your pelvic girdle muscles, so your thighs, your glutes, and it can get messed up. Just like we can injure our, our leg muscle or our back muscle, we can injure a pelvic floor. And that can happen through like a freak accident, like you had a fall. That can happen with childbirth or, you know, vaginal surgeries or abdominal surgeries. And so pelvic floor dysfunction is basically anything that's going wrong with the pelvic floor or related to that. So that can be urinary incontinence, prolapse, C-section scar pain, rectal pain, constipation, Difficulty emptying your bladder because you have people, because we talk a lot about incontinence, but we don't talk about those people who have urinary urgency and frequency. So they constantly think they need to pee, but they don't, or they've trained their bladder. It can be maddening. Mm. Difficulty with orgasm. That's part of the pelvic floor. So those types of things. It's actually quite a huge umbrella term because it really pertains to all of it. And it's not just for women. It's for people across the gender spectrum, gender and sex spectrum. I hope I answer that. No, it's just so refreshing. Because here's the thing. (laughs) The tragedy is that it's not talked about. And I I hear a lot from friends I know who are going through postpartum and that part of pelvic floor awareness. Mm -hmm. That awareness is coming once there's an injury as opposed to decades before Mm -hmm. where we could be training our bodies to be prepared for such potentially inevitable injury that's part of the childbirth process, like Mm -hmm. potential strain that could be part of sexual activity. Absolutely. And I'm going to say something a little unpopular, and I don't think I've ever said this on a podcast, so hang in there with me. I'm still working this out. So I think one of the things about pelvic floor dysfunction is that you have a few camps. You have the camps of the MDs who are talking about it. You have the camps of the nurses that are talking about it. You have the camps of the mental health professionals that are talking about it and the PTs. But we have to understand that in order to comprehensively address pelvic floor dysfunction, you need all of those people. Mm-hmm. You need a whole team. You need a sexy time dream team Mm. that is multidisciplinary, that talks to each other. Yes. Because I I am fucking dope. Am I allowed to cuss? Yes. Oops. Mm -hmm. I know I'm dope and I know I got the (laughs) skills, but I am not God or this greater being that can just fix it with one fell swoop. Mm -hmm. I can address the things that I can address. And for some of my patients, all they need is PT. But for another group of my patients, they need PT, they need injections, Mm -hmm. they need psychotherapy, Mm -hmm. (laughs) they need Mm -hmm. acupuncture, they need a lot. So I really would love for us to move away from do Kegels, do this, do that. And I do address those in that way or just go to therapy or just have surgery. I think we just need to be, we just need to have a comprehensive assessment and figure out what you need. You Mm -hmm. as the individual. And I think the education should center on that and say, yes, we need to know about our pelvic floors. We need to know that there's dysfunction. And we need to know that we need to create a collective 
pelvic floor dream team to help you dress your, address your specific needs. I love that. I totally yeah. agree with you. I see that with clients all the time where they'll yeah. come in and they're having some issues, whether it's vaginismus or anything else, and they're either being sent to me by the doc or yeah. they're just like, hey, I have this. I don't know what to do. And then we're talking about who else they can see as their providers. If everyone was in one spot, yeah, we, could, yeah, we could change the world. So many other people will be feeling so good about themselves and their relationship if we could provide that. Absolutely. Honestly, after I finished the program at Michigan, it actually changed the way I practiced. Mm. And so now I, I almost like, I'm one of those like extra special like humans where like when I'm with a patient, I'm like, okay, oh, you have a therapist? Great. What's their name? Let's sign this release so we can chat. Yes. Yes. Because I need that. I need their therapist to know what I'm going to be doing. And I'll be like, oh yeah, you're client, our mutual client patient has a lot of penetration anxiety. So this is how I'm going to approach this. Or I don't think we need to use dilators. I think we need to use a vibrator to replace the dilator because it's, the vibrator is not clinical to them. It's sexy. And so that's how we're going to do this. So let's talk them through, or we need to work through some steps to bring down their anxiety about it. So that's really how it should work. It should be this synergistic piece because what I do physically with the patient needs to be complemented with that psychological support and skill building. Yes. Unbelievable. And with such like a clear like mission to be of help to the greater network that can help any one individual with their pelvic floor, what drove your mission? What brought you into this passion? I don't know. This 2022, I'm just going to be stone cold honest with people because usually I'm like, but I'm just going to be be just real. Let so <laughs> I, I think people have heard before, like I, I first fell into this by accident as an internship as a 15 year old. And I was like, what the hell? Like, I thought this was a sports <laughs> PT internship. Now I'm looking at this guy's penis. Jesus. Okay. Wow. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> Hey mom, can I still do this job? Like, I, yes. I, I didn't even know what was going on. I was like, all right, okay. well, I'll roll with it. And but then I quickly realized that growing up in Dallas, Texas, in the space I was in, being a black girl in a predominated white spaces, pub, private prep school situation, mm-hmm. but we were like normal middle class family. I knew that I had to stand out in the crowd. I knew that I had to like to forge my path. I needed to do something that was different. And I just happened to stumble upon this specialty that I happened to love. And so I said, okay. And then I looked it up and I was like, there aren't that many pelvic PTs out there in these streets. All right. Mm -hmm. So let me do my path towards that. Then when I was in grad school, when I was working on my doctorate, I was thinking to myself, I need to do a residency because I want to be, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to be like the dope. I want to be one of the best. I want to, I want to excel. I went to Washington University at St. Louis to do my residency. I was trained by the best and baddest human beings out there in the world of pelvic health PTs, Dr. Tracy Spitznagel, Dr. Tracy, Dr. Stacy Tilkas, and Dr. Brooke Kalisiak. And they taught me everything. And of course, the whole faculty at WashU. That's what drove me was the desire to be the one, be the best at what I'm doing, because I knew that this issue was so personal mm. and so widespread, but there weren't a lot of people who were really good at it, mm-hmm. who really understood it from this comprehensive way. And I knew also in grad school, I started to learn about public health issues and like intersectionality and mm-hmm. healthcare disparities. And I'm like, but all this research is on white women. Yep. And everyone has a pelvic floor. 
the hell? Mm-hmm. And if we're saying that there are disparities when it comes to cardiovascular health and right. all the things, like literally everything, there has to be disparities in public health. And representation matters. And I got to tell you, I didn't know another Black PT until I was, I think, let's see, t- until 2012. Mm. Wow. After my residency. That will tell you something. Yeah. What, what and, about other doctors that you yeah. work with, not just PTs? Do you find yourself in a vacuum as well? <laughs> <laughs> like, what? Yes. I'm sorry. I, didn't, I don't know why I laughed. I don't know why I laughed. Yes. I, yes. I'm, <laughs> yes. It's so interesting because this, I know we're supposed to be talking about pelvises, but actually this does impact our pelvis because mm-hmm. stress, mm-hmm. all of the things, all of the isms impact our cycles. They impact our pelvic floor, they impact our general health. It's great to be a unicorn, but it also sucks, especially if the system is not set up to support unicorns. Then who do you have? Like, how do you handle all of your stress? How do you you handle a unicorn? How do you handle a unicorn? If I don't understand a unicorn, if if I don't see it and I know it's a unicorn, it's cool. But if I'm like, I don't know how a unicorn moves. Ah, it's almost like whack-a-mole. Hit it over the head. I don't know what the unicorn does. What the heck? And so I think that's how the system reacts when you're dealing with the BIPOC people, especially Uh BIPOC people with terminal degrees like myself or who are on faculty in academia Mm. in those spaces, that Uh is also super problematic for a lot of spaces. And so when we think about the health of Black women in particular, and knowing that Black women with terminal degrees have worse health outcomes and health status than white women who haven't even finished high school, that'll tell you something. It's not about academic achievement. It's not about wealth. It's not about insurance coverage. It's about the actual impact of racism and how it disproportionately impacts women of color, particularly Black and Indigenous women. Let's just talk about that and say it out loud. And let's teach our future humans who are taking care of anybody, whether it's their mind body whether it's a physical like all of that like mm-hmm. we this just needs to be told in the streets yeah with the megaphone totally. if we may speak about it representation matters in academia which was built without representation in mind yeah. mm-hmm. that yeah. feels right. like you must right. be you're on this amazing mission to help and to fix and to communicate with other practitioners and yet you're at the front lines having to show up in a space that's not built to to support such representation. The bravery yeah. to and do it every traumatic. day. Yeah, and it's mm-hmm. traumatic. I'm not going to sugarcoat it for everyone. I just have to sit in our discomfort with this. It's traumatic. Yeah. yeah. It impacts people. Like, I felt it. I mm-hmm. feel it every day. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm, I'm sure I'm, hap- I'm a happy person. I'm a jovial person. But, like, it, 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 it takes a toll on yeah. the body. It takes a toll because I have to go into a space that is an active perpetuator of trauma. Mm-hmm. And I still have to hold space for my patients, swat away the microaggressions and macroaggressions that I deal with every single day by mm-hmm. the Karens and Amy Coopers that I work with, mm-hmm. and then be excellent, and then be an educator. And to have the Karens, right? To, to the, the Karens. Karens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and have right. a poker face. So I don't even have a regular cycle. Shoot. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to ask about that, too. Right? Yeah, that's and, one. Know, of- and I think that's, yeah. 
Yeah. Sorry to overshare. Oh, no, it's not at all. Flow. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of our favorite questions is, how's your flow? And truly normalizing the idea that needs to be a regular part of our considerations on how anyone's well-being is, any mm-hmm. vagina, uterus haver, but also those who might mm-hmm. not have a uterus, but are still dealing with the hormones and cycle elements yeah. of mm-hmm. life. I yeah. don't know. Are you open to sharing about your experience? Because we were touching upon the disparity and discrimination issues that come with any sort of surgery before recording. Yeah. Absolutely. I have fibroids or had fibroids. I'm happy to share my history with that. I was in residency in 2011. I was bleeding and I was going through bleeding. I was going through, I think, probably one one package of super plus tampons and pads a week. Mm. Like That's I a lot. was That's it intense. was a lot. Yeah, But I was in beast mode. I was working so many hours trying to keep up. I was their first resident. I needed to perform. And as a Black woman, I didn't have time to, like, understand that, like, that was a lot of blood. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's a lot of bleeding. And then finally, it came to a head. I had to go to the ER, like, while in clinic. Like, I was bleeding out. It was a whole thing. I was in severe pain. And then come to find, like, my hemoglobin levels were so low, like, in the fours, which is, like... No, yeah. Clinically that's... problematic. Yeah. I remember the charge nurse. He's like, girl, I've seen dead people with hemoglobin levels. <laughs> he was so extra. I was like, oh, and he goes, how are you functioning? Like, he goes, you were like walking around and I just was tired and I had a hard time breathing. And he's like, because you were dying. Oh. You were bleeding out. You were severely anemic. Yeah. And I did not, and even though I'm in healthcare, I didn't prioritize my health. I didn't, Mm -hmm. I don't, I I fundamentally didn't have the biggest trust in the healthcare establishment because I was in healthcare. So I I went to the gynecologist once or twice. Like I was like, I'm bleeding. I knew I was bleeding a lot. I knew it was a problem, but I was like, I'll figure it out. Then it basically came to a head and I had to have a uterine artery embolization. So I did that. And then my periods were just basically, they were never, my periods didn't normalize for until about three years after that. Wow. And then I was put on birth control, next went on, and and that kind of, but then again, I think honestly, the stress of life and my job, I think that also disrupted my cycles. And so that Mm -hmm. I do know about myself. I know when things are really bad, like my cycle, like I just don't. don't You're just not. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then recently I had my surgery to remove. So my fibroids came back with a vengeance Mm -hmm. and (laughs) I had to have open surgery and they were able to, you know, spare my uterus because that was my desire Mm -hmm. and which I'm very lucky to have, but lucky to have healthcare providers that listened to me and were skilled enough to do that. But then also my clinical presentation was such that they could do that. So everyone's a little different. Uh, So I also want to put that out there. That's how I was clinically presenting where that was still on the table. That may not be the case for some people. But then with it on Mm -hmm. the table, you're not lucky to get what you want. That should be the patient's right to get what you want. I know, I know. But I'm also a well-resourced person. At this point, Mm -hmm. I'm able to drive, go, pay what I need to pay. I have insurance. I'm very good insurance. I was like, if I need to pay out of pocket, I'll do it because it's worth it to me to have this. But I'm also, that's, I'm in a very privileged position to do that. I was also, I had a lot of audacity But it took me years to build this audacity to say to my doctors, I'm a plus-size Black woman in America. 
I need, and I know the research and how y'all do us from gynecological surgery perspective. And I need you to like pretend that I'm a white lady. Yeah. And approach me that way. Because we're not doing Yeah, that's the disclaimer. (laughs) Good. Yeah. We're not doing it. It was really just me saying, these are my concerns. This is what's important to me. And I need to, and honestly, it was the interaction that I had with my doctors that made the decision for me. If they're getting defensive about the facts that I'm presenting to them, with like research that is written by their colleagues, no, mm. absolutely not. You're not touching right. me. And, you, and are, so, you are informed and know that you have the ability, the language, the resources yep. to yep. walk in. Yep. We do hope yep. when we talk to our listeners, people listening and have this as a permission slip, is there anything you would give as advice to someone who doesn't maybe have the resource of language, just like a nice phrase yeah. they can use? Have a homie. So have a buddy with you when you're in these um, discussions with the doctors. Ask their permission to record. If you don't have that ability to do that, use that with their phone. Write down your thoughts on note cards or on your phone prior to and just tell the doctor, I'm just looking at my notes. Patients do it with me all the time and I give them the abundance of time and patience because they are. it's important enough to them that they're taking notes I'm going to, it actually makes me stat, stand at even more attention to them mm. because they're like, I'm like, oh, they ain't playing. All right, all right, let me be on my A game. So it lets them know how serious you're taking this. And if they're dismissive, they're not for you. Another thing yes. too, to recognize, like I said earlier, is that everyone's clinical presentation is different. We also have to have flexibility in that. Meaning even though Janet and Susan both have fibroids, it doesn't mean that they those the approach to managing their fibroids is going to be the same. It's, it's a, yeah. I really love that idea of taking someone with you. So yes. in a wild, so I have I have mild hemophilia A, like not a lot of factor eight, but I went through a couple physicians and had to find another physician that would actually properly diagnose me, and yeah. I never. And I have a beautiful support system and lots of people in my family with hemophilia, lots of friends, but never thought, oh, come to the appointment with me so you can talk about this with me and my provider to have that backup. So I love that advice. And I think that's really important because as women, like we're not taught how to advocate for ourselves. Not at all. It took a lot to... Even now I'm thinking about it. And that's why I said that because it was really tough. to ask people to take that amount of time, that amount of emotional energy. Mm -hmm. But when you establish a support system of people in your life, whether you have a ton or just a few, this is one of those times where where it's worth it. Like, I'm so grateful that I had the people I had, but I I also gave myself some credit in that I was able to ask for that help. Mm-hmm. knowing that I was going to need that help, knowing that I was going to need that backup. Yeah. Love that. Ask for help. It's going to get, it's going to be, it can be really hard. I think it's really hard to ask for help. I've got it. I can do this. I can go oh, to yeah. these appointments. I can take care of myself. No, I cannot. Like, it's yeah. okay to have people in your corner. Yeah. Yeah. And tell, and, and when you're asking for help, tell people what you're afraid of so that they can help mm. you with that. Yeah. Mm. I love that. It's a reminder how much conversation helps. I know you started talking about conversation amongst amidst the dreamy, sexy team that could be helping any individual patient with their yeah. experience. The patient themselves can also establish communication with 
support system people in their community. What if yeah. that patient is looking solo for products or like helpful treatments and exercises for their pelvic floor outside of following you, which we will include the link to your sure. Instagram, mm-hmm. obviously yeah. here. What, what else might you recommend to get started Gosh. in pelvic floor? Yeah, to get awareness, I always tell people like the first product you have is your mind. Mm. And <laughs> really starting with that, because sometimes I think we like so quickly go to, what do I need to do to get it? And it's, okay, let's start with just being aware of our bodies. Can you find your pelvic floor in space? And what I mean by that is, can you like sit, even sitting now, if we're all sitting in a chair, can I find my pelvic floor? Can I connect with it? Can I squeeze it? Can I pull it up? Can I let it go? Can I push it down? Can I feel it when I take my breath? Sometimes starting with that awareness of your body can be super, super helpful. Because even in that awareness, it can be like, oh, wow, my pelvic floor, I'm having a hard time. If you're having a hard time locating your pelvic floor, it might be that you might need something like some biofeedback. So biofeedback can be given by your finger. Mm-hmm. So you can insert your finger into your vagina or rectum, whatever you want to do, or in your anus and squeeze. And so you can have something to squeeze around. Mm. You can use a vibrator that you can insert. You can use an external vibrator just to be able to find it, right? Mm-hmm. If you're not cool with penetration. Yep. That's really great. You can use vaginal weights if you cho- so choose. Mm-hmm. You can use something like LV, which is a product out there that does, it connects to your phone and it has a, it's a vaginal sensor and it can, you can do like Kegel exercises with that. So lots of products out there if that's the thing that you're trying to find. But if you're a person where you're saying, oh, I have pain, I have constipation, things like that, then it might be, again, going back to the mind and saying, okay, I'm having a hard time finding my body, but I I can feel that there's a lot of tension. Maybe having a practice of diaphragmatic breathing, maybe getting into yoga or, you know, something like that. Mm -hmm. There's so many great YouTube yoga people out there. Like, I'm the worst. I think there's this yoga with Adrian that's really good. Someone I recommend. Yeah, Yeah. like, things like that to help get you connected with your space. My colleague, I need to give her a plug, Desianne Miller. She has Your Pace Yoga. She's a pelvic health PT and a yoga master. And she has all this online stuff for people. She has yoga. She has stuff you can download. Yoga for constipation, yoga for vulvodynia, yoga for endometriosis, yoga for pelvic pain, yoga for bladder issues. It's the best. So I would say, please run, don't walk to Dustin's website, Your Pace Yoga. And it's, I've been recommending it to my patients for years and they love it. So excited about that yes. resource. Thank you. Another great pelvic resource is my pelvic, my PFM, my pelvic floor muscles. I think that's the website. It's amazing. It's a nonprofit organization run by Janice Mitchell. She's a pelvic PT here based in Colleen, Texas. And she has, just blown this beast up and they it's all there's so much free content on this website that's my pelvic floor muscles and i would tell anyone to have that just bookmark that on your web browser awesome for sure awesome i think too if you can speak to uc is we have a lot of people in the bleeding disorder community and not that it's not just geared this pod isn't just geared towards them but they already have significant amount of pain with their bleeding. So yes. how do you think you could help them differentiate between, and maybe you can't, but what is typical for a bleeding disorder versus what is, what's going to be a signal to then go seek extra treatment for pelvic floor issues versus yeah. typical clotting disorder issues? Yeah. 
If it's disrupting your function to a point where it's incredibly distressing to you. Okay, perfect. Does that make sense? So it's the level of distress, but then also too, another thing we want to think about is that pain, though subjective, is very real. And so understanding like there's difference between having pain acceptance and to a point where it's, has my pain even been properly assessed? Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yes. A lot of this is that, have you been properly assessed? Has your pain been assessed? Because it's one thing to say, I'm in bed for five days Mm -hmm. because of my bleeding and my pain. And you've never been properly assessed. So the last time you were assessed, you were 15 and now you're 28 or you're 38 or 48 or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so I would say getting properly assessed by somebody, and it doesn't always have to be like a super uber subspecialist. It can be a gynecologist that has some training and understanding in pelvic health. Now, and dysmenorrhea, bleeding disorders, pain, all of this. Even if they just have a specialty in pelvic pain, they, they got this. It's just a matter of that. Now, I will tell you, that is not always easy to find. So when you, if you're looking for somebody, giving them a call and saying, hey, do you have any minimally invasive gynecological surgeons who are fellowship trained? So those are mixed surgeons. They're OB-GYNs, but they have a one-year surgical fellowship. In, in this, and it doesn't mean that you have to have surgery, but they have a, they have an acute understanding of the endometriosis, chronic pelvic pain, bleeding, yes. clotting disorders, those types of things. Does that make sense? That and does. there are a lot out there. And then you also have um, gynecologists who just actually just took a special interest in it. Mm-hmm. And you'd be there a lot. There are a lot out there. It's just there. I, I, I don't think they're hiding, but it's actually it is hard to find. So just yes. asking and saying, hey, does, is there a doctor in your big group practice that specializes in pelvic pain. And a lot of times the front desk person can say, oh yeah, this doctor and this doctor, that's who you want to see. But it's so helpful. It's just you, if women are bleeding, generally they're treating, right? So they're taking their, whatever medication they're prescribed. And then they're still, because I've had this conversation with women in our community specifically, where then, oh, things are still really painful or sex is painful and we're having that conversation and it's just getting these little key phrases on how to advocate for yourself even when you're just calling the front desk. It's so helpful. A hundred percent. And I just want to say that sex is not supposed to be painful. Correct. But, but for some people, for some of the people listening, they've never had pain-free intercourse. Being able to ask people specifically, what do you want with sex? And they're like, pain-free. And I'm like, with penetration, without penetration, with arousal, with orgasm, after sex. And then incorporating that sexual activity with the things that you've already checked. You're like, oh, I can handle cupping with both of my hands. I'm going to now have my partner do it. I can do it with the butterfly position. I can do it in child's pose. I can Mm -hmm. do it in happy baby pose. I can do it on my side, but definitely not on my belly. Those are ways to start to think about, oh, these are the positions, these are the things that make me feel empowered. Yes. Those are like some practical positions that you just walked. Me and the listeners <laughs> is wonderful, but also I just want to return to the mind being the greatest tool. I love that you said that, and I appreciate it. I saw on some of your Instagram, like the sexual imagination and the work of sexual imagination and the role it plays in sexual life is just wonderful. I recommend everyone go to your Instagram immediately. Look for that tile or any of your tiles. Everything you have up there is wonderful. Thank you for sharing. As a fan, I appreciate your shares. Thank you. Follow Yussi. She is going to teach you so much. Gosh, thank you. Yes. Thank you. I have (laughs) 7,000 other questions. 
I want to just amplify the fact that more and more hiring of the educated minds that are available to speak from experience of what it's like not to be white and dealing with the healthcare system. Yes. More hiring of those voices. Yeah. Absolutely. I had a very honest conversation with a white colleague of mine and they were like, and they literally, for lack of a better term, they were like, I feel attacked, you know, for being a white woman. And I'm like, No, I said, it's not about that. I think it's that your voice is already, Mm -hmm. like, heavily, densely represented in a lot, in some of these conversations. Not all. I said, not all. I said, but some. But most, right? But most. But most. But most. But it does, and I said, and it doesn't even, and I'm not even saying that it's being accurately represented. I'm not even saying that it's good representation, but it's still representation. And so we have to, we definitely need to burn it all down to fix it. But in the meantime, bringing in different voices. Because when we bring in this, those different voices, it actually helps to sharpen the perspective and what needs to be said from a white female perspective and from a black female perspective and from an indigenous person perspective. Like, it all, it makes us better. Mm-hmm. It, it really does elevate our game. Yeah. When we have, when we give all of everyone the, the mic, Mm-hmm. And not just giving them the mic, creating an environment so that they are comfortable speaking at the mic. Yes. Create an environment where they will thrive with the mic. Because mm-hmm. you can't give someone a mic and it's not plugged in. Mm. And they don't have a power source. Right. That's insane. <laughs> it's clearly insane. Or yeah. the shared language. I feel so yes. fortunate to be in conversation with you right now and to learn more language to help me communicate mm-hmm. with others about it. And it sounds like part of your mission, connecting the dreamy, what did you call them? The sexy dream team that would help yeah. any patient also means us all connecting about how we can up the game. We can up level together if we're yes. aware of each other's most significant struggles. We don't need to re- reiterate what's working. Let's keep focusing on each other's most significant struggles. Yes. 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 And it's it's great because I think it just makes for a wonderful outcome for everyone. Mm-hmm. And it's just glorious when you see not just Black girl magic, all of the magic mm-hmm. by all of the females and Volvo owners. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We, we want yes. pelvic, magic. pelvic floor magic. Is what we, we want pelvic doing. floor magic, queens. <laughs> yes. We want pelvic floor magic. <laughs> yes. That, <laughs> I think that needs to be a t-shirt. I think that's the quote from the episode. The pelvic <laughs> floor magic. magic. No, I think the quote from the ex- episode is that Sarah was my, what is it, sex Jesus? <laughs> yeah, actually, I think we need to wrap up with defining that a little bit more. Can you what's involved in being a sex Jesus? How does one become I mean, one? I don't know. Did you have to wear, did you have to have a cross anywhere? I don't know. I mean, I, Jesus gave me anxiety. So I'm sorry. I'm sorry, girl. I'm Catholic. I grew up Catholic. That's the only thing that I pulled from. Hey, I get it. I get it. I went to Catholic high school and like Christian school. And like, I am totally honored. But then I'm like, hey, Jesus is why I take meds. So like. Stop it. That's amazing. I'll take it. I'll take it. How about this? You were just like my compass. You were my sexy time compass. I, I really respected how fundamentally kind you were, but like intentional and like kind of very sure footed and how you moved in the world. I saw that immediately and I respected the hell out of it because that's rare. Thank you, friend. That means so much for Absolutely. you. I appreciate it so much. Absolutely. How can people reach you? You can get me 
on the interwebs, my website, www.uclogic.com. I don't have my courses up yet, but I am having something developing in the next few months. I'll keep you all posted for diversity, equity, and inclusion, but then also another community space for Sexy Time, mini courses on demand. In the meantime, I do have my book, Sexy Swagger, A Guide to Reimagining Your Sex Life. It is written for women and vulva owners. And I just think of it as a starter kit. It's a starter kit for thinking about how we want to look at our sexy time, how we want to look at our sexual selves. I tell people it's not a solution. It's just more a direction that we want to get started on and some practical tips on moving forward. So I'm really excited about it. That was so incredible. I can't wait to talk to Dr. UC. Again, find her at UC Logic. That's Y O U S E E L O G I C. That's on Instagram. Check out so many juicy things that she has to share. Yes. Oh. Follow her and let her know how amazing she is. I have learned so much from UC just following her on social media. That's the way the world is right now, is getting that little bit of information in less than five minutes, and it's solid information. It's so good. A lot of our education does come from online resources these days, if you have access to the internet. We use it to have conversations about what's normal, what might not be normal, but here mm -hmm. on Flow, we have Sarah Watson, sex therapist, to help us talk about what we might think is abnormal about our health. Sarah. What's normal that we might not know is normal? I know we do this every time, and I was thinking about what comes into the office, and I, what is most prevalent is that female body people really don't understand at first their pelvic floor in general. You say in general, like the anatomy, the conception yes. of mind to body, the connection? I want to say both. I think it's, we know that we have a body. We're aware, hopefully, of that. But maybe not how, when was the last time you dove into actual anatomy of the human body? If that's mm. not something that you're generally um, aware of, or maybe you haven't had that class since maybe high school or college, if you went to college and you don't understand that there is this beautiful pelvic floor holding everything up and how it's all connected. I think I learned a lot more about my body, sadly, when I injured it. When I get, mm. when you have some kind of injury or you have something that you want to explore, and generally that's when people come to see me as they're trying to figure out their sexual health. And then we're like talking about anatomy and talking about how do you feel? Like what's going on? Are you having urinary leakage? Are you having trouble with, if you like penetration, are you having trouble with that? And then giving them the language and information about the pelvic floor. And they're like, oh, like I knew that. I always get that. Like I realized, but I didn't really have all of the language. So my perfectly, totally normal is that you might not have the language for your pelvic floor and it's totally normal. If you don't have it, that's okay. You can get it from the best providers. Totally normal. Totally normal. You're totally, absolutely normal. Mm, normal, totally normal. Wonderful. I'm hearing that it's a challenge to connect with our own bodies if we might not know how to name aspects of the physicality or the body, sensations or the Correct. anatomy itself of what parts of the body are. Yes. So 
Language is powerful. Knowledge is powerful. Talking about it is going to change your life. You're going to get that information. You're going to start noticing things, maybe even when you move a certain way. Or if you're a runner, you're going to notice things. Or if you're just going to the bathroom, sitting on the toilet, you might Mm. start to notice your pelvic floor once you have the language and understanding. The pelvic floor. Well, I hear the floor and I think of what's below my feet. So it's interesting to remember that my legs are below my floor. And that brings me to what I wish I had knew in sex ed, which is, of course, more about the pelvic floor. And I guess the metaphor I've been using since talking to doctor, like a jellyfish. I wish sex ed had talked about the jellyfish aspect of having legs underneath this whole organism of the human body. Not that our legs are disconnected, but there's something valuable perhaps in the kinetic energy of a jellyfish. I wish that part of sex ed. Yeah, I just wish there's this great sex ed, but sadly you have to go out and seek it. And and I think that's something else we should add. UC speaks to this in the interview. She does offer sex education for adults. It's part of her mission, as do I. And that is something we have in common. Like, we want to get this information out to people, like that you feel powerful in your body where you're not like, ooh, well, geez, I didn't know that. And it's not your fault if you didn't get the information. It's something that we don't speak about here in the States. Mm. So give yourself some grace and get the info, and your pelvic floor is going to be amazing. And it can be worked on too. I think that's really helpful. If you're having an issue, knowing that there are people out there like you see and other pelvic floor PTs that can help you strengthen and understand and make that mind-body connection. So then you're experiencing pleasure and your body the way it was meant to be experienced. You also mentioned, Sarah, that sometimes it takes an extreme condition for us to start to get aware of our bodies. And listeners who might be going through something extreme, Sarah, Dr. UC, will list your profile info in the show notes. Please get in touch. They're here to help. And if you're not going through something extreme and you want to get a jump on understanding your body before an extreme condition, now could be the best time to educate. So get in touch with Sarah. I am so lucky to talk to you every month, Sarah, here on Flow. And coming up this spring... We're going to talk about menstrual health and religion. We're going to talk about menstrual health and shame and communication and also pop culture. All here on Flow. Bloodstream Media is more than just a rare disease podcast network. With shows on chronic pain, menstrual health, and Dungeons and Dragons. Yes, Dungeons and Dragons. Bloodstream Media's got a little something for everyone. Visit bloodstreammedia.com or find Bloodstream Media on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram to learn more. Flow is produced by Bloodstream Media. Shout out to Amy Board, creative director, and your hosts, Sarah Watson and Jessica Richmond. In 2022, Flow will have new episodes the second Thursday of every month. Hey, that's the day after I start menstruating. <laughs>